Epic fail. <laughs> Epic fail. Two great words that have become part of the parlance of, I guess, uh, the culture these last few years. Epic fail. And one of the epic fails that I see among believers is this. It has to do with what we've been talking about here the last couple of weeks. And that is two weeks ago, if you're with us, we kind of set out 2014 as a time to seek the Lord. In fact, from Hosea 10:12, we said it's time for us to sow for ourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, means unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And actually, John Kim, when he preached last week, he gave us a a statistic from Willow Creek. Willow Creek did a survey, he said, 400,000 respondents. And they said the number one thing that determined people's spiritual maturity and spiritual growth was the regularity with which they read the Bible and reflected upon it on their own. So you've got this desire in 2014 that every single one of you should be in a regular pattern of seeking the Lord, encountering Him in His Word and, and, and studying the Word and in prayer on your own. Because, man, if we've got 200 people all going in that direction, there's no limit to what God wants to do with us as a people. So epic fail. Where does the epic fail come in? Epic fail comes in when we get this vision. We say, yes, God, I want to go for it. We get good wisdom from John Kim over there who preached last week that yet we're opposed from Ephesians 6. We made it clear that we are opposed. And that's where the fail can come in. We get into a crisis. We're emotionally thrown way off balance by something in our lives too big for us. And all of a sudden, that whole desire for God, our warming up to him in our hearts, seems to pass away. We, we have a false understanding that if I'm having a hard time because of heartbreak or guilt, maybe it's our sin, we have a hard time, and so we pull away from God. It's kind of like, have you ever been in those situations when you're trying to high-five someone, but you don't know if they're going in for the hug or they're going for the handshake? And you're just doing the high-five. Actually, Cullen Newby, come up here. Okay, watch this. Okay. Cullen Newby, he had no idea I was doing this to him, but I actually just thought about this. Cullen Newby has the largest repertoire of things you can do when you're going in for a high five or a pound. Okay, so actually, let's just try this. Let's see how much you can think of. Okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm either going to pound it or I'm going to high five. We'll see what you do. Okay, let's try it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll go, we'll go. He's this, yeah, sorry. He's, yeah. yeah, exactly. Case in point. Good, we're done. <laughs> okay, here we go. Squirrel. Okay. Okay. The, the butt pat. Okay. Okay, straight up pound. There he goes. Waiting for a stick shift. There he goes. Okay, good enough. There you go. Thank you, Colin. So you're out there trying to do a high five with God, right? You're trying to high five God. I'm trying to meet with you, God. I'm opening up my Bible, and it feels like nothing's going on. It feels like this. Let's turn our attention to the video screen. This is you high five.
<laughs> okay. Wow. Have you been there with God? You're trying to give him the high five? God, where are you? Of course, that's our faulty theology that's, that's at play there. So the whole, our desire with this Heart Healthy series is this, is that uh, negative emotions come, don't they? We are angry. We are guilty. We are sad. We are depressed. We are discouraged from time to time. Some of us more often than others, right? And why, we have a wrong equation that says, when that happens, I pull back from God. And the thing we want to say, and we actually started this way last year, and I think it's a great way to start our year. Just as some of you sitting out there going, did we do this last year? We sure did. But guess what? There's 150 Psalms, all right? What I want to say is the Psalms. Man, have you read the Psalms? Have you seen the depth of emotion that is poured out in the Psalms? Have you encountered that the God of the Bible is okay with you and I totally having hissy fit in his presence? Because, man, if you get a psalm, chances are one and two are what the scholars call laments. One and two about of the psalms, maybe a little less, are ones where someone like David is pouring out his heart saying, God, help me. Our problem, my problem too, is that when things get hard, I drop back. I do all the stuff that we all do to self-medicate, you know, things that are neutral, the things that are bad. We self-medicate instead of, man, going to a great vocabulary that you and I have. God knows that life is hard. How do I know that God knows life is hard? Well, one, because Jesus died on the cross. But two, in my practical devotional life, I know because he's led us into the Psalms. And it behooves you as a follower of Jesus. It behooves you as a follower of God to start to Get to know this vocabulary because, man, when you're down, it's just good to know that you can have a kickstart there. Sometimes I don't know what to say to God when I'm down. Sometimes I don't know how to be with God. I do the awkward high five with Him. I don't know what to say and do. But sometimes the Psalms give me voice. Lord, I'm hurting. And I want God to give you that voice too. Because also a church that knows how to bring its negative emotions, the overwhelming senses of loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear. When we know how to go to God with those, there's a facility that comes in the spirit. Actually, the water level of joy starts to rise because we're authentic. We're not just stuffing things down, pretending things are okay, but we're actually being really authentic with our God where we hurt. And don't you know that God cares about you? He does. Amen? Okay, so we're going to look at a series of different kind of emotional states that we can be in in this next four weeks. Not all of them are hardcore, but um, today we'll start with a hardcore one. So turn with me to Psalm 142. 142. And let's start with kind of when you're in crisis, when you're desperate, right? Maybe you're extremely discouraged. Psalm 142 is a great little guy, great little number. And so to give us background, Right? This is likely written by David, and the background we get for the situation, so you can know that God does know what it's like when things are hard, we can take some context from this from 1 Samuel 22. You don't have to turn there, but let me just paint the picture for you. David is on the run. Have you ever felt that your government is not for you all the time? Have you ever been to the RMV lately? Have you done your taxes lately? At times, you can feel that the government is not for you, Man, imagine if the king was after you. I mean, imagine if Barack Obama was after you personally to try to destroy your life. That would be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? 
But that's David's situation. I mean, no joke, the king of his country is after him. David is hiding in a cave, all right? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm feeling crushed on all sides because stuff at work, stuff at family, stuff in my own soul, it's all kind of closing in. You can feel like that, you know, like the, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting smaller and smaller. Well, David's literally in a cave hiding here. Not only that, but he has to take care of some other people. In fact, 1 Samuel 22 indicates that 400 people are coming, are kind of gathering around him. That sounds encouraging, doesn't it? If you're in a hard spot, wouldn't you like 400 people to help you out? The only problem is the way that the Bible describes these people is that they are distressed, they are uh, in debt, and uh, they are, one more D here, uh, 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 what is that? Yeah, discontent, right? And, and, the, and the other, the, thank you. The issue there is that it said they're bitterness of soul. So I don't know, have you ever been around people? I, I'm looking at Kelsey, she's been around me. At times when you're just bitter in your soul, you're a little discontent about life. These are the people that are gathering around David, and they're looking to him for leadership. So it's not like these guys are encouraging to David. It's just another burden for David, that 400 of them. And added on to it, David's got his parents, and he's got to figure out how to protect his parents. And remember what we know about his parents. We don't know tons about his mom, but remember of his dad. Do you remember when Samuel came to anoint him as king? His dad didn't even really consider him One of the sons, he didn't present him before him. In other words, we get this little clue that David's relationship with his dad might not have been the model of father-son relations. But David's got to do something with mom and dad. He ends up finding another king who can kind of watch over him. My point is this. David was in a pickle. And he was discouraged. And it was crisis. And it was, everything's closing in on me. I don't know where to go, right? Just like you and I get. And we feel like our world is crashing in on ourselves. And it's out of that place where David writes this. So instructional for us as far as how we are to pour out our hearts to God. Okay, let's read it together. We'll read the whole thing and then we'll take it in three sections. And you can follow on your orange um, insert is a little outline for you to follow. Okay, if you want to kind of track with my thinking. Psalm 142, he says this. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Now he's getting to some specifics. Look to the right and see there's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Wow. Ever been there? Felt a little lonely? Felt like you're the only one? I sure have. I cried to you, O Lord, verse 5. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Tori's making sure I know where the clock is. I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous, there's a little this note of hope here at the end. The righteous will surround me, for you, Lord, will deal bountifully with me. Okay, so I noticed kind of three main sections here of as David is pouring his heart out to the Lord. And the first one we'll just call pour it out. Everyone say pour it out. So the main question I have for us today is, do you, are you in the habit of actually verbally processing with the Lord? 
Again, regardless of your personality, I know, for example, John, our college pastor, he's a prolific journaler. So he, I know he does voice his prayers to the Lord, but at times it helps him to write them out in high detail. But this is what's amazing about this first section. Pour it out, the verses 1 to 3a. David says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. In other words, we see with David an incredible comfortability with God, where he is able to, in detail, as we'll see shortly, specifically pour out his troubles before the Lord. And he's not self-conscious about it, like, ooh, is this too little? Is this too big for God? He's very comfortable with God. And please don't misunderstand me. (laughs) I'm reading Revelation right now, and I'm very aware of the holiness, the majesty, and the power of God. At the same time, as is so often in Scripture, we have a wonderful tension. And that tension is we also see a person like David who totally aware of the majesty of God is able to just get real with him and not be afraid or insecure. So that's the call to you to God today or from God is, are you comfortable enough where you can outline no matter how small or petty it might feel, you're able to just pour out your heart before him and say, God, I'm feeling frustrated with this. Lord, I feel sad about this. This is really hurting me or even Holy Spirit, help me figure this out. All I know is I'm feeling really blocked right now. Help me to figure it out, God. That's, David is very secure in, in God accepting him. Are you? Do you know that God accepts you? And what I'm trying to say is, if you're not sure, look at these psalms and look at how crazy David and some of the other psalmists get in God's presence. And they always end in a place of knowing that God loves them and it's going to be okay. I mean, gosh, even just on a very human level, it is very cathartic for you to just purge and say, this is how I feel. Now, the great news is you're purging. It's cathartic. It's like cathartic plus because you not only get that benefit, but the one who's listening to you is the one who can do everything about it. So, man, are you comfortable? Do you feel accepted in his presence enough to just get it out there? Be specific. Pour out your complaint before the Lord. And I love this little... You know, his little, like, glimmer of uh, this gem, I guess, in verse 3. Because David says, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. I love that. Because he's just admitting. You know what it's like when your heart fails? You know, your heart stops in the sense of, oh, God, you know, you fill in the blank for you. I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. You know, Proverbs says that hope deferred makes a heart sick. You know the heart sickness of when your hope has been crushed. And it may feel, you know, it might feel silly to someone else, but you know, like, this is a hope that I had and it was crushed. And, you know, man, the best place you can talk about is with the Lord. And I love this because, as David says, um, you know my way. Like, when my heart's kind of dying here, when my heart's done, when I have nothing left in me, the emotion's gone or whatnot. He says, I thank you, God, that you know my way. Do you know that, that God knows your way when your heart faints, when your spirit faints, when your heart is crushed, whatever the situation may may be. Maybe it's so tired of this job. Maybe it's, I'm, I'm tired of struggling with this sin issue. Maybe it's, man, this relationship I'm in, my heart, God, just help me. God's there and he knows the way for you. Do you believe it? Let's get there, man. When you're feeling low this week, next week, get in God's presence. He accepts you. You are safe to pour out your complaint. Man, the God of the universe can handle you. He really can. 
JD, my son and I have been just, he's, all of a sudden JD's on this thing with space. He just loves our solar system. So I'm trying to explain to him, which of course, why do I think I can do explain to him like, you know, the hundreds of thousands of miles between here and say Jupiter, you know, how it take a long time to get there. Like, you know, we sent Voyager out there in 79 and we get pictures to like 89 or whatever. Just a long time. The God who made the universe and that red spot on Jupiter and those rings around Saturn and all these moons and, you know, we're not sure how to classify Pluto anymore. God made it all. <laughs> he can handle your soul. Amen? Amen. Pour it out. Man, I, I pray that for you. Man, actually, if there's just one thing this year, I pray that one way that you kickstart your quiet time is just by getting in a place of pouring it out, pouring it out. I'm looking at another brother here who started to practice something called centering prayer. We're actually, uh, this is kind of the opposite, but it has a similar effect. Where centering prayer, he just, um, the idea is you just are silent before the Lord for like a really big chunk of time for us as distracted people, like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, just like not saying anything and just getting his presence. And this brother did this for a season. And he said, man, it was as good as, you know, it was good as uh, six months of counseling, you know. And um, nothing wrong with counseling. Please do get counseling. But he just found that that um, being still with his heart before the Lord for like a 15-minute chunk as a regular practice of his daily exercise God, was really helpful for him. It delivered him. Amen? Opposite practice, but kind of a similar effect, okay? Pour it out. All right, the second part, the second move we want to look at today is just lay it out. Everyone say lay it out. Lay it out means, and what I'm going to suggest here is that you also get really specific with God. This is where David is getting specific. I gave you the background from 1 Samuel 22, but here's what David's really worried about, starting in 3b. He says, in the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. So my big concern, one of the reasons I'm freaking out right now is because I'm going to draw some, I'm going to connect some dots now, but everywhere I go, there's a trap, right? uh, Saul and his people are trying to trap me. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't like that, right? And he says, and then we get this great part that I'm sure no one else can identify with except me. Look to the right and see, that was sarcasm, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Have you been there? You feel like you're the only one who feels this way. You feel very alone. From the circumstances that I painted with David, he definitely was in a very unique place and pretty alone in that situation. And as my sister-in-law, Clara, said this morning at prayer time, one of the great things about God is, you know, when you are struggling, sometimes it really is hard to articulate exactly what's going on. But man, it is so good that God really knows. And he's okay. He knows why you're hurting. You may not even have the words for it. Ah, I'm hurting, God. You might not have the vocabulary, but God knows. He knows your situation. He's the one who made you. He's seen your whole history, and he's cared all along the way. He's wept when you have been sinned against. God has wept for you. I know we have the question of why didn't he do anything. That's another matter. It's also a little bit above my pay grade. But God has watched the whole thing unfold, and he loves you. Okay? So that means you can be, you can lay it out. You can be as specific as you can. And even if you can't get, can't plumb the depths of your own soul, right? Proverbs says that a man's soul is like deep waters. Who can, 
know it. God can. And he knows. So you lay it out. You be specific. Again, there's, it can be really cathartic. Just when you finally get out what's really troubling you, it's, um, it, it just is helpful just even purely on a human natural scale. But again, laying it out before God. Man, you got the creator of the universe on your side now. And it's awesome. Okay? Lay it out. Lay out that self-pity, right? Lay it out. You're feeling alone like no one cares. Um, let, let, let God in because God does. He wants to be a friend with you in your hurt, in your pain. Amen? Okay. Final move here. I'm calling it hope it out. Verses 5 to 7. Hope it out. Right? Get some hope. And I'm going to suggest there's some things we see here in these few verses that can actually be hopeful. Let's just say that one more time. Hope it out. Everyone say hope. Okay, there is hope for you today. I don't care how dark your situation is. I don't care how much despair you're in. There is hope today for you. Yes, please say amen. It is true. And I'm, yeah, thank you, Lord. Hope, hope, hope. Okay, what does he say? He says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You're my refuge. You're my portion of the land of the living. This little section, verses 5 to 7, has some interesting bookends. And I want to I point them out to you. And the first one is this. So this beginning one is, Lord, you're my portion in the land of the living. Right? In other words, you're my reward. You're what I really want. And uh, I want to suggest that uh, what is most important today is that you get a facility with just pouring out your heart before the Lord. Something that can help as you make that a regular habit of your life is knowing, or I should say, taking the heart attitude of embracing Jesus, what are you, what is there of you in this for me? Let me say that again. What is there, what of Christ is there for me to embrace today in this hardship that I'm encountering, in this crisis? I'm not saying you have to get there right away. In fact, you usually can't. In fact, this is a great Actually, David has it correct in the sense that first we need to pour out our hearts and then we can actually start to think along those lines. David is saying, God, no matter what's going on here, right? This is crazy. You got 400 crazy people that I'm in charge of. The king's after me. I'm trapped in a cave and I got to figure out how to take care of my parents right now. All right? Make sure they're safe. Now you fill in your blank, whatever your issues are. Once we do that, then we can say, Lord, what are you trying to do in me? this. Once we get the stuff out, we can get the perspective, Lord, you are my portion. What of you are you trying to impart to me right now? See, the way that we mostly think, and we're Westerners, and so we usually try to have this equation, all right, so this is my problem, I want to fix this, and then it'll be good. But all along the way, God has a subtle thing that becomes not so subtle that he's trying to do, and he is trying to form Christ in you, Okay? He is trying to form Christ in me. And he does it most often through trial, through the hardship, through the despair, through the discouragement. He's not the author of it, but he allows it. And that's where Christ is formed. Remember what it said in Hebrews about Jesus? It said, how did he learn obedience to suffering? By singing a song and, yay, I'm Jesus. No. It said he learned obedience. Sorry, did I just say it? I can't remember. I just, did I, or did I already say it? Yeah, I already said it. Sorry, that happens up here. When Andre starts this thing with his lights, strange things happen up here. Sorry. My point is, okay, there we go. <laughs> right? He learned obedience through suffering, it says, with loud cries. Okay? So if even the Son of Man, 
If even the Son of God had to pour out his heart to his Father, (laughs) are we exempt? Of course not. So we pour out our heart before him. And we remember somewhere in there we get the presence of mind to say, Lord, you're my portion. You are what I need. You are what I'm trying to. You're after me loving you in this whole thing. My trial might not change. It might not get better, but but what will change is God inside of me. I'll have more of you inside of me. And that is a great result. Amen? With pain, with trial, with suffering, but it'll come. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 6. Yeah. And now, now we just have these, you know, his, his hopeful cries. Lord, attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. You know, oftentimes that's actually what God's after. Again, he's not the author of evil, so please don't twist the theology piece here. But attend to my cry, I'm brought very low. Sometimes the only, reason where, the only way that God can work himself in us is for us to be brought low. So when you're brought low, you say, God, hear me, help me. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. You know, all of you have been through 10-step things. Sometimes one of the most healthiest things you can do is acknowledge that whatever you're up against is just too big. Sometimes that despair is too dark or that struggle is too hard. And that's a huge step. And here we say David saying, you know what? Saul and his guys, man, these 400 debt, distressed, discouraging people, it's too much for me. It's too strong for me. Sometimes for us in our emotional distress, that, that's just a great place to be, just realizing this is too big. God help me. And verse 7, bring me out of my prison, right? We feel trapped sometimes, relationally, uh, circumstantially, so that I may give thanks to your name. I want to thank you, God, as I come out of this. And then I love this little piece here at the end. It says, the righteous will surround me. Remember who he's surrounded by right now, a bunch of hooligans. But he says, hey, soon I'm going to be in some good company here. And what? Because you're going to deal bountifully with me. Now, I want to look at this word bountiful. So I told you about the bookends here in verses 5 and 7 about this idea of what is Christ doing in me through the trial. This word bountiful is really interesting. But first, we should just take it at its, at its surface level, which is God will deal bountifully with you. Bounty, excess, surplus, okay? In your trial, God wants to bless you, all right? Does it remind you of another psalm? I think of Psalm 23. Where is it that the banquet table is set for us? Right in the presence of our enemies. Okay, right in that place where you get nailed. That's where God wants to deal bountifully with you. Now, this word bountiful is really interesting because it has to do with something becoming ripe. Or it also has to do with a child who is weaned. In other words, there's some development happening. And I love this because this, when I'm in the trial and it's dark and I first am able to do my vomit before God, here's where I'm at, and I'm safe in your presence, then comes the presence of mind to realize, God, you're doing something here. What is it? You're dealing bountifully with me, even right now in the trial, because you're trying to ripen me. You are trying to wean me off something else so that I grow and I mature in one way or the other. Amen? Okay, heart healthy. One of the ways that we get heart healthy is when we're in distress and crisis, we cry out to the Lord first. Yes, please do get the help of friends and brothers, sisters. Do get help that you need. Don't be alone. But man, let your first stop be with God in the house of prayer. Because then this whole thing of seeking the Lord, it's not like this religious thing like, ooh, I have to have a lot of quiet time, so I'm, so I'm, I'm pulling my weight at the church, for example. It's kind of how I've set it up here in one way. But it's not just you pulling your weight at the church. It's I have a deep, 
connect with God because even when I'm at my worst, he knows me and he still loves me. So again, I'd say there are probably two main responses here today. And I'm going to ask Jenna and the team to come back up. There's two main responses, kind of depending where you are. One very practical one is, I encourage you to make the Psalms a regular part of your diet, your appetite of your time with the Lord. It doesn't always match up. You know, I'm, I'm at a pace right now of reading through the Psalms every two months, right? Some people do it once a month, and they're reading about six Psalms a day, you know, for five or six, for 150. But I'm doing it about every two months. And all I know is the benefit over the long haul of just reading Psalms regularly is you create this safety zone where it's okay to pour out your heart, but then you start to build a vocabulary. Ooh, I'm feeling guilty. Let me go to Psalm 51. Blech. You know, I just pour it out. Because sometimes we don't have words, or we're trying to connect with God. And what I love about the Psalms is they really grease the wheel, right? What they help me do is, you know, when it's 6.30 in the morning, I'm trying to spend time with the Lord or whatever, and, um, you know, it's not... <laughs> It's sometimes a hard thing to start to do, but Psalms are at least where I'm at. In other words, they're emotional, and, and they help just grease the wheels as far as the time with the Lord. So there's a practical thing. It's just making going through the Psalms a regular part of your diet. And the second is this, and it's more urgent. For those of you who are in the room today and are feeling like David, you're in crisis. The light at the end of the tunnel is becoming more and more dim. You're wondering, how will this change? How will I ever get out of this? man, these relationships are tough. This vocational thing is, is rocky. Whatever your situation is, come. And why don't you just pour out your heart before the Lord? I'm going to ask Beth Price and the prayer team to be up here. So some of our prayer people, if you're with, if you are um, used to praying with us, then uh, please come on up. Um, and you who are responding, you can feel free to just pour out your heart before the Lord, or you can invite someone else in. Say, hey, will you just be with me here as I as I just share with the Lord my troubles, it's to you. doesn't matter to me. Amen? Okay. Pour it out, right? You can pour it out before God. It's going to be awesome. Why don't you stand with me? And we'll start to pour it out to Him.